For those of you who've been here at Emmaus uh, for, for some time and even from the beginning, uh, do you remember how big of a, of a decision it was for us to do away with children's ministry, so-called uh, children's church, and to have our children in the service with us together? I remember it being a big transition, kind of a scary one because it wasn't what we're used to. I thank God that we made that transition. I love that our children are in here worshiping uh, the Lord with us, uh, witnessing their parents doing that very thing. Even hearing the Word of God preached, I understand that the sermons are a bit long for them probably, but I think they understand more than we realize. Um, But it's important that they're here with us. I love to hear their voices as we sing together on the Lord's Day. The sermon text today is Genesis chapter 28. The New Testament reading will be John 1 verses 43 through 51. Let's give ourselves now to the reading and hearing of God's holy word. Genesis 28, verse 1. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May He give the blessing of Abraham to you and your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife from there, and that he blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebuath, Jacob, left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring." Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. The Lord said all of this to Jacob, including, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. 
And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Let us go now to John chapter 1 and read verses 43 through 51. John 1, 43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree. I I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So far the reading of God's most holy word. Our prayer is that the Lord would bless the preaching of it this morning to the nourishment of our souls. I think it is safe to say that most Christ followers have at some point in their Christian pilgrimage felt a degree of uncertainty concerning their relationship with God. Perhaps the uncertainty was the result of falling into some sin which wounded their conscience and grieved the Holy Spirit within them. Living in sin will always have this effect upon us. It will will negatively impact our confidence in Christ. Or perhaps it was an attack of the evil one that caused that time of despair. It is even possible that there was no obvious explanation for the lack of assurance. And sometimes these seasons of spiritual darkness are in fact inexplicable. They simply come upon us. Now, it it may be that you have experienced a season of uncertainty like this in the past. It is even possible that you are experiencing one now. Maybe you would say to me, uh, if we had a private conversation, uh, this day is a dark day for me, Pastor. Uh, These are difficult and perplexing times. And if you have not experienced something like this in the past and are not in the present, You at least need to acknowledge that it is possible that you will at some time in the future have a season in which God seems to be distant from you, a perplexing time, a time of darkness. And brothers and sisters, I want you to know from the start of this sermon that there is encouragement to be found in this little story about Jacob for the one who feels unsure, for the one who feels as if life is perplexing. There is light for the sojourner who feels as if darkness has overtaken them and as if God is distant. I think we need to first of all step into Jacob's sandals for a moment to try to understand understand his experience. Uh, These must have been dark days for Jacob. He must have felt very unsure as he journeyed away from home in the promised land towards Haran, a land that was completely foreign to him. Remember that Haran was the place where Abram had settled for a time with his father Terah, as they journeyed from Ur and toward the land of promise at first. Genesis eleven twenty nine says, Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of 
Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. That's Genesis 11.31. The city of Haran was located to the north of Canaan, on the other side of the Euphrates River. And we learned there in Genesis 11 that Terah, the father of Abram, uh, for whatever reason, did not complete the journey down into the land of promise, but he stopped short of entering into it with his family. Abraham would complete that journey after his father's death. The thing to notice in this little story about Jacob is that his life seems to be going in the wrong direction. Wouldn't you agree with that? His life is going in the wrong direction. Remember, his desire was to have the birthright and the blessing. He really wanted those things. He even tricked his brother and deceived his father to get them. He wanted the birthright and the blessing. His desire was to inherit the promises made to his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac. And these promises, remember, had very much to do with the land of Canaan. The Lord spoke to Abraham repeatedly, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. Genesis 12, 7. And he also said the same thing to Isaac, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. That is Genesis 26.3. Now Jacob was one of those offspring. In fact, he was the chosen offspring. And yet, what do we see now in this little episode except Jacob leaving the land that was promised to him for Haran? That place where his great-grandfather Terah had stalled out many years before. He must have felt confused. He must have felt unsure and afraid. It is impossible, of course, to know exactly what was going on inside of Jacob. But his soul must have been in turmoil. I think we all can agree upon that. Think of what he had just done. He took part in a wicked scheme to deceive his own father. He took advantage of his father's frailty. He tricked him in his old age. We should remember what the law of God has to say about this. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, of course, this particular law was written by the finger of God and delivered by Moses to Israel many years after Jacob lived. But this law was not invented in the days of Moses. Indeed, it is a part of that moral law that was written upon Adam's heart in the very beginning. See Romans 12, or 2, uh, 14 and following for more on that. And this means that even Jacob was bound to keep it. He was to honor his father and his mother. And in fact, this principle would have also applied to him, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. We see that Jacob violated this law. And now... He is experiencing a kind of exile from the land. He is being sent away to Haran. He's being driven out of the land to the other side of the Euphrates. And as I said earlier, these these were dark days for Jacob. He dishonored his father. He participated in his mother's sin. He swindled his brother yet again. And the result was separation from his family and from the land that he loved. Brothers and sisters, sin always has this effect. When we violate God's law, it brings division. It disrupts and disturbs the peace. It leads to dark places. And though it be true that your sins are washed away, 
through faith in Jesus the Christ, we must remember that sin still has consequences. It has earthly and natural consequences that are attached to them. And here in this little episode, we learn that Jacob, he reaped what he sowed. He sowed dishonor and deceit, and he reaped division. He was divided from his family and from his land. But notice that in this same episode, we also see that God was gracious to Jacob. The favor of the Lord that was set upon him even before he was born remained upon him despite his sin. Clearly, this favor that Jacob had set upon him was unmerited favor. He was undeserving, but God had set his love upon him and nothing could change that. We're to remember what God spoke to his mother, Rebekah, while he and his older twin brother were still in the womb. God said, the older shall serve the younger. And elsewhere, the scriptures say that God loved Jacob, but Esau, he hated, Malachi 1.3 and Romans 9.13. Jacob was chosen of the Lord, and Esau not is, is apparent in this little story. I think we should briefly compare and contrast Jacob and Esau before getting to the very heart of this text. Notice that after the family was divided by the deception of Isaac, Esau pursued an earthly and fleshly solution to his problem. What was his problem? Well, he realized that his parents were not pleased with him. He realized that he was not the son of promise. And so he began to to work. He knew that his mother and father were displeased with his Canaanite wives. We learned about that in the previous passage also. He heard that his mother had said, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? That is Genesis 27:46. So what did Esau do? He went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, he took another wife there from Ishmael, the relative of uh, Abraham and of Isaac. He decided to marry within the clan, thinking that this would please his parents. Maybe they would um, approve of him now. But notice this. He married into the non-elect family of Ishmael. I won't say much about this whole episode here regarding Esau's choice of another wife, except to say that it was a big swing and miss for Esau. He pursued an earthly and fleshly solution to the problem, but it really was not a a solution at all. He was simply striving to make things right in his own human power. Esau pursued favor with his parents according to human wisdom and to no avail. But notice that in this story, God pursued Jacob. God pursued Jacob. And set his favor upon him. God pursued Jacob to reassure him, to comfort him, and to call him to a constant and faithful walk with him. And this is the thing that must be noted in this text. God pursued Jacob and would not let him go despite his flaws. Brothers and sisters, this is how God deals with his covenant children. If God is determined to set his love upon them, then he is also faithful to pursue them to win them, and to never let them go. And here is the foundation of all of our confidence in Christ Jesus. It is right here. We are to know for certain that our right standing before God depends ultimately not upon our work, but upon Christ's. If our right standing before God depended upon our faithfulness, then never could we be sure. In fact, we would live in a perpetual state of uncertainty. We would perpetually be perplexed 
concerning whether or not we were right with God, but because it depends on God and the work that Christ has accomplished on our behalf, we can have confidence in Him even in times of darkness and difficulty. For God is faithful to keep His promises. Brothers and sisters, in times of darkness, we must look to God and remember the promises that He has made to us. I think that is what this passage urges us to do. That is the application that we are to make to our own lives. When life grows difficult and we begin to feel uncertain, as Jacob surely did, we must look to God and to His Word. And it is there that we will find an immovable foundation on which to stand, for God is faithful and His Word is sure. This principle is clearly present in this little narrative. Did you notice that twice in this story, the Lord was gracious to remind Jacob of His promises concerning him? Twice in this story, the Lord reminded Jacob of His promises concerning him. The first reminder came by way of the blessing that his father Isaac pronounced upon him. And the second reminder came by way of a dream. I think it is that dream section that is our favorite part of the story, and we will come to it in just a moment. But in verses 3 and 4, we find Isaac pronouncing a blessing upon Jacob before he leaves the region of Padan Aram, and more specifically the city of Haran in that region. There Isaac speaks to Jacob saying, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May He give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. This was a very significant moment here. It was significant not only for Jacob, but also for Isaac, I think. For here we see that Isaac was no longer determined to give the blessing to Esau, but had resigned himself to the fact that Jacob, the younger of the two, was indeed the son of promise, according to the revealed will of God. We have to know the previous story to understand what I'm saying here, I guess. But remember that Isaac was bent to pronounce the blessing upon Esau, contrary to the word of God that had been revealed earlier. But here, Isaac finally got it. He finally got it. And he willingly takes that blessing that he inherited from Abraham, and he sets it down upon Jacob the younger of the two. This moment was obviously significant for Jacob, for in this moment he heard his father knowingly and willingly speak to him and pronounce upon him the blessings and promises that were given first to Abraham. Jacob had been blessed before by his father, remember? This wasn't the first blessing pronounced upon him. But that first blessing was given to him, not willingly and knowingly, but by way of deception. Isaac thought he was giving it to Esau. So it is not as if that first blessing didn't count. Isaac clearly thought that it counted. But Jacob must have wondered if he was really blessed of the Lord, given the way that he got the blessing. There must have been uncertainty in him. Yes, my father pronounced these blessings upon me, but I tricked him in order to get it, must have been his thought. But here we see that Jacob is blessed by Isaac willingly knowingly. It must have encouraged his heart as he prepared to leave for Haran, as he prepared to go on this journey away from the land of promise, as he walked in dark times. Jacob was reminded of these promises as Isaac pronounced this blessing upon him. One, God had promised to make him into a great multitude. He would have been reminded of that. He would have many descendants. 
to these offspring of his would be blessed and they would be a blessing to the nations. He was reminded of that also. And three, these descendants would possess the land of promise, the land in which Abraham, Isaac, and now he sojourned. It was the land that he was about to leave, though. And so these promises were not new promises. They were given first to Abraham and then to Isaac. But in this moment, Jacob watched his father, the father that he had not long ago deceived, knowingly and willingly give these promises to him. In verses 10 through 15, Jacob is again reminded of the promises that the Lord had set upon him. But this time the reminder came in the form of a dream. I do love this portion of the story. I think you do too. In verse 10, we learn that Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. By the way, I think we are to feel the loneliness and the uncertainty of Jacob as he finds himself without a place to stay as darkness overtakes him. Notice how Moses is telling the story under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There is Jacob wandering alone. He has no place to stay. He's in a wilderness place and nightfall is overtaking him. It's kind of ominous. It's it's lonely. And then taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Never again will you complain about your pillow being too hard, will you? You'll remember Jacob. He slept on a rock. This was common for the shepherds in those days to do as they slept in the open field. And in verse 12 we read that he dreamed and behold there was a ladder set up on the earth. You have to visualize this now. And the top of it reached to heaven and behold the angels of God were ascending and descending on it and behold the Lord stood above it. What an awesome sight this must have been. The heavens were opened up before Jacob. He saw a vision of the Lord and traveling up and down on this ladder were angels. Now what did this vision mean? What did this mean? Well, the words that God spoke to Jacob, they help clarify the meaning of the vision. Listen carefully again in verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and the east and to the north and the south. And in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. So this vision, uh, the meaning of it, is clarified through the word of God that was spoken to Jacob. And I want you to notice five things about this vision and the word of the Lord spoken to Jacob. They are very brief observations. They will not take long. One, Jacob saw the Lord who revealed himself as the God of Abraham and Isaac. Friends, There is nothing more important than this, than to know the Lord. Nothing in our lives will be right until we know the Lord. We were created to know Him, to live in obedience to Him, and for His glory, for He is our Maker. So take special note of this. The Lord revealed Himself to Jacob. And this is the way that it always goes. Notice that we are, now that we are fallen into sin, rather, We do not search for the Lord. Jacob was not searching for God here. He was walking away dejected from the land of promise, going towards Haran. But instead, the Lord graciously revealed Himself to Jacob. And this is what the Lord does. He graciously reveals Himself to us if we are one of His elect. And Jacob was elect of the Lord. We know this 
from this passage and preceding passages and passages that will follow in the pages of Holy Scripture. He was not pursuing the Lord, but the Lord pursued him and revealed himself to him. Two, notice that the Lord promised to always be with Jacob. This would have been the most comforting aspect of this whole vision. Jacob was being reassured and comforted with this idea that God would be with him. I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, he said. And so the Lord was seen in heaven. But the latter signified the Lord's presence and activity upon the earth as his ministers ascended and descended upon uh, that ladder, Jacob was made aware of the fact that though God is highly exalted, lifted up, and transcendent, He is distant in some regards. He is also a God who is near. He is a God who is eminent and with His people. This would have been very comforting uh, to Jacob. We must remember this as well. Though we cannot see the Lord, He is ever-present with His people. And this is a great source of encouragement to the people of God in every generation. God is with His people. He dwells in the midst of them. He will never leave them nor forsake them, Hebrews 13.5. And if this is true, which it certainly is, then we can go anywhere and endure anything, for for our God is with us. He is by our side. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. When the church in Rome was experiencing hardship, Paul the Apostle encouraged them with these words. He said to them, the church in Rome hardship, even persecution. He said to them, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This is how he encourages their hearts. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, Paul says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to do what? None of it will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Be comforted in this, therefore, brothers and sisters. God is with us. Nothing can separate us from Him if we are in Christ Jesus. This was the greatest source of encouragement for the Roman church. They were to know that God was with them and that nothing could separate them from His love in Christ Jesus. And this is what Jacob needed to know. It is what he needed to hear in order to have courage for his journey. He needed to be assured that the Lord would go with him as he sojourned. Three, the Lord reassured Jacob of his special plan for the land of Canaan, which he was about to leave The land on which you lie I will give to your offspring, he said. And he promised, saying, I will bring you back to this land. So notice that the ladder had its top in heaven, but its base was set down where? Right smack in the middle of the land of Canaan, in a place that would come to be called Bethel, which means the house of God. Its base was set down in Canaan, indicating that that place was a special place. God would do a special work there in the years to come. The Lord would bring Jacob back to the land. Of course, the rest of the Old Testament tells us about that special work that the Lord did in Canaan as He forms the Israelite nation. And the most important of all the work done in that place was the birth of the Christ, His life, death, burial, and resurrection, and His ascension. It's it's the place where God would do a special work and, and, and open up a gate for the nations to come in. For the Lord reassured Jacob of his special plan for his offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, 
and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and the south. So the rest of the Pentateuch will show the initial fulfillment of this promise through the birth of the nation of Israel who would come from Jacob's loins. And then five, notice that the Lord reassured Jacob that it would be through his offspring that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. This is so significant. Of course, we know that this promise finds its ultimate fulfillment in the Christ who would come into the world through the nation of Israel and would die as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the, what? The world. We know that here is the ultimate fulfillment. It's Christ. There is no greater blessing than to have your sins forgiven and to be reconciled to God. And Christ came to give that blessing not only to the Israelite, but to all the nations of the earth. And so you are to understand this clearly, brothers and sisters. God's plan for Israel who would descend from Jacob, was from the beginning that they would serve as a kind of mediator between God and mankind. The God of heaven determined to make a way for the peoples of the earth to be reconciled to Him. And this He would do where? He would do it in the land of Israel and through the people of Israel who would descend from Jacob. And indeed the ladder that bridged the gap between heaven and earth signified this very thing. God was going to open up Away, so that heaven and earth could become one, so that fallen men could be reconciled to Him. At the beginning of this sermon, I read from John 1, 43-51. And I did so because there we find Christ's interpretation of the vision that was shown to Jacob of the ladder to heaven and the angels ascending and descending upon it. If we want to know what this ladder meant and what this vision meant, I think we should pay attention to the words of Christ, for He tells us what it ultimately meant. What did this vision mean? Well, listen to what Christ said in verses 43 and following. We learn that a man named Nathanael was amazed because Jesus knew that he was sitting under a fig tree when Philip had approached him. He was so amazed by this that he immediately confessed that Jesus was the Christ, right? I, I believe. And Jesus said, really? That's all it took, huh, Nathaniel? Uh, for me to tell you that I knew you were sitting under the fig tree when I was nowhere to be found? I, I just knew it. because, Of course, Christ here uh, being omniscient. Nathaniel responded to Jesus, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. But listen to Jesus' response. I want you to hear it again. Jesus answered him again, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these, Nathaniel. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened, and you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I hope you hear uh, the allusion to Genesis chapter 28 in Jesus' words. He was clearly referring to the Genesis 28 passage that we're considering today. Notice that Jesus spoke of heaven being opened. That's what Jacob saw. He also refers to angels ascending and descending. That too is what Jacob saw. But strangely, there is no mention of the ladder. Did you notice that? Jesus said nothing about this ladder that bridged heaven and earth. And, and why is that? Why doesn't Jesus mention a ladder? He doesn't mention a ladder because Jesus claimed to be the ladder in this passage. He's referring to that Genesis 28 story, the, the ladder to heaven that Jacob saw. He's, he's referring to that. But he's saying to Nathaniel, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending, in essence, on me. He is claiming to be that ladder that was shown to Jacob in this Genesis 28 passage. What did the ladder signify, therefore? 
The latter, shown to Jacob in the dream, ultimately signified Christ. It was revealed to Jacob that God would provide a way for man to be reconciled to him. God would provide a mediator, a savior who would bridge the chasm of sin that had opened up between God and man. You're familiar with these metaphors, aren't you? Jesus Christ claimed to be the door. He claimed to be the way. He claimed to be the narrow gate. But here He is claiming to be the ladder which connects heaven and earth. We know clearly from 1 Timothy 2.5 that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Brothers and sisters, uh, these promises made to Jacob and the vision shown to him apply to you and me also. But they do not apply in the same way that they applied to Jacob. These promises were made to Jacob. God would be with him as he journeyed away from the promised land. And he would be faithful to bring him back. God would give him many descendants. And to them he would give the land of Canaan. These promises would be fulfilled in the formation of the nation of Israel and in their conquest of Canaan. Through Jacob's offspring, the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so, considered in this way, these promises belonged uniquely to Jacob as an individual and not to us. We cannot claim these as our own in the way that they were claimed by Jacob. But considered from the vantage point of their fulfillment in Christ Jesus, these promises are also ours. In Christ, God has reconciled us to Himself. We belong to Him through faith in Christ, and we are to rest assured, therefore, that He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will bring us safely home into the new heavens and earth. Indeed, nothing can separate us from His love. We are to take courage in these things. We are to be comforted in these things, in good days and in bad You and I, brothers and sisters, need to be reminded of these promises continuously, don't we? We need to be reminded of these things all the time. Remember that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were frequently reminded of God's promises to them. That's one of the characteristics of this narrative in Genesis. God did not just appear to Abraham once, nor did He appear to Isaac or Jacob once, but He comes to reassure them time and time again of the promises that He has made to them. And we need that as well. It is not that we should just hear the gospel at the beginning of the Christian life. In fact, we need to hear the gospel continuously. We need to be reminded of that good news that through faith in Jesus the Christ, we find the forgiveness of our sins. We must be reminded of that good news that though we were once children of wrath, now we are children of God. We must be reminded that God has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. He will finish the work that He started in us. He will bring us safely home, for we are Christ's beloved bride, if indeed we have been united to Him by faith and cleansed by His blood. Friends, the gospel is not only something that we need to hear at the beginning of the Christian life, but always and until the Lord calls us home. The gospel, and no, I'm not referring to that ultra-simple, watered-down version of the gospel that is often preached in our day, but the full robust, Christ-centered gospel that was preached from all the scriptures by the first disciples of Christ. It's that gospel that we need to be reminded of continuously. For that gospel is the very basis of our assurance before God. If you are 
experiencing times of darkness, if you are feeling perplexed and as if God is distant, if you are experiencing something like what Jacob was experiencing here in this moment, having been divided from his family and from his land and unsure whether or not God was with him, what you need more than anything is to be reminded of God's promises to us in Christ Jesus. It's in times of difficulty and darkness that we need more than anything to be reminded of God's promises and the fact that He will be faithful to keep them. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And having been reminded of the promises of God that are ours in Christ Jesus, it is only right that we then respond in faithful worship. This is the thing that we are to do. We are to respond, therefore, in faithful worship, having been reminded of God's promises to us. And I want you to notice that this is what Jacob did. After being reminded of God's promises to him, what did he do? He woke up in the morning and he, he had faith and he worshipped. And this, brothers and sisters, is it's medicine for a troubled soul. Instead of withdrawing from God, we ought to draw near to Him in times of trouble. For He is what we need most. Have you noticed this tendency within yourself? I wonder if you have. Difficult times come upon you, times of darkness. The, the tendency is to withdraw from God and to withdraw from His people. But what do we see Jacob doing? He's reminded of God's promises. He wakes up, he believes, and he worships the God of heaven. He worships the Lord who had revealed himself to him in that moment. Verse 16, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So clearly Jacob felt alone and distant from God as he sojourned. He basically admits that here. But in this dream, it was revealed that God was with him and always before him. Jacob didn't realize it at first, but now he knows. He knows it for himself. The scriptures say that Jacob was afraid. This is always the response of men when they behold the glory of the Lord. They often tremble with fear and fall down before the Lord as if dead. And Jacob has a similar response. He, he's, a, he's afraid. He, the Lord is awesome and this place is awesome. And you and I, brothers and sisters, would be wise to live life mindful of the fact that the God of glory is, in fact, ever before us. The radiance of His glory is typically hidden from our sight. But this does not change the fact that He is always before us. We live our lives before His face. He sees all. He knows all. He is everywhere present. And He is awesome. Sometimes we forget that. That our God is with us and He is awesome. We are to fear the Lord, therefore. For this is the very beginning of wisdom. We are to live as if God is with us and present before us, as if He is holy, glorious, awesome, and mighty. I want you to consider now the response of Jacob. In verse 18, so early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up for a pillar and poured out oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house and of all that you give me. I will give a full tenth to you. So this stone that Jacob used for a pillow at night was turned into a memorial. Jacob turned it on its side so that it would stand out as unnatural and man-made. Stones over time fall flat, don't they? The force of gravity and the winds have that effect upon them. But Jacob 
turned it up this way so that it would look unnatural and man-made. It pointed to heaven also. Perhaps this was a reminder that the God of heaven had revealed Himself to him. And when Jacob poured out oil upon the rock, it was an act of worship. He probably didn't have much with him, but he sacrificed some of the precious oil in faith and out of gratitude to the God of heaven. And then Jacob named the place Bethel, which means house of God. This was an acknowledgement of the truth that had just been revealed to him, that God would be present in this land in a special way. He would dwell with His people there, and through this land all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. This was God's house. Then Jacob made this vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my Father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone, which I have set up as a pillar, shall be God's house, and all that you give me I will give a full tenth to you. This vow was obviously a personal profession of faith uttered by Jacob. It was his vow. He vowed to have the Lord as his, as his God. He would enjoy communion with the Lord in his house. He would worship the Lord by giving him a tenth of all. But this vow also anticipated the formation of the nation of Israel. Jacob would do all of these things on a much greater scale in this sense. He would do them through Israel, which would descend from him. The Lord would be Israel's God. They would enjoy communion with the Lord in His house, and they would worship Him by giving a tenth of all, by bringing their tithes and offerings up to the tabernacle and temple that would be constructed at a, at a later time. Brothers and sisters, having been reminded of the promises of God that are ours in Christ Jesus, I do ask you this question, will you respond in worship? Will you respond in worship? Will you rise up, even in times of darkness and despair, to give God glory? Will you honor Him as your covenant Lord and God? This you decided to do at the start of the Christian life, but may I suggest to you that this is something you must decide to do continually, day by day, and especially Lord's Day by Lord's Day. I ask you, will you come into the house of the Lord to enjoy communion with Him? Will you give of your offerings willingly, thankfully, and cheerfully? I ask you these pointed questions uh, knowing what your tendency will probably be, especially during times of darkness and difficulty. Your tendency will be, again, to withdraw, to complain, to give yourself over to the despair. But God reminds you of His promises. And He calls you to draw near to Him, to worship Him cheerfully, to give thanks to Him for all the good that He has poured out upon you in Christ Jesus. And what I am saying to you is this is something you must decide to do. You must decide to do it daily, and I think especially you must decide to do it Lord's Day by Lord's Day, to come into the house of the Lord and to offer up to God worship that is worthy of His name. Brothers and sisters, in times of difficulty and darkness, this is where we need to be, right here. Again, many have this propensity to run and hide when the going gets tough. Instead, we ought to draw near. We ought to draw near to the Lord. We ought to come into His house to hear His Word proclaimed and to be reminded of His promises. We ought to come and worship for the Lord is faithful and is worthy of our praise. I'll conclude the sermon now by reading Psalm 100. I think this should encourage our souls. The title of this psalm is 
a psalm for giving thanks. And here we are exhorted with these words, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. Let's bow together and pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are faithful, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We know that this is who you are, and it cannot change. You have given us your promises. Help us to know them, Lord, according to the Scriptures. The promises made first to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And now we look to the fulfillment of those promises in Him, and we rest assured that indeed you have provided a Savior for us, a mediator, to reconcile us to you, God. And we give you thanks. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ as they sojourn in this world. I pray this also for myself, that you would help us to walk by faith and not by sight that you would help us to endure times of difficulty well and to your glory, that we would never doubt that you, God, are with us, you will bring us safely home, that you are faithful the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, give us the confidence that we need to walk as we should in this world. Strengthen our faith, Lord, and help us to overcome our uncertainty, not in our own strength, but through faith in Christ. Lord, help us to praise day by day, and Lord's day by Lord's day, to give you the glory that you so rightly deserve. It's the name of Christ we say these things, and all of God's people say, Amen.